Radio Mano Papachango. Chris, everybody, Tangentialistas. Uh, my name is Jim. Just sitting here listening to your latest episode. Felt compelled to send you a little message. Um, I'm here, Esperando para Cruzar. I uh, live in Tijuana for four years now. I met my wife here and got married here. And right now I'm waiting to cross the border to go help a friend of mine on her podcast. I'll probably be sitting here for about four hours. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for all the amazing content that you put out, all the amazing guests that you have. Uh, it's definitely helped me through some tough times, helped me, you know, not be so bored sitting here in the border. <laughs> so I just want to say keep doing what you're doing, man. Adios. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Thank you, Jim, in Tijuana. Hope you're not still sitting at the border. Hope you made it through and back and wherever you need to go. Uh, this episode is with Elia. He's um, a half Maasai dude. His mother is not Maasai. His dad is Maasai. He was raised by his grandfather, as you'll hear, who was Maasai. Um, Elia is an awesome guy. Uh, he was our guide for nine days and nights in the Serengeti and... Uh, Leaving from Arusha, we went to the Serengeti through the Ngorogoro Crater um, and uh, Tarangiri Park. Yeah, we, we were in three, four different parks with Elia. He's an amazing dude. He's very knowledgeable, very sweet, uh, kind, awesome guy. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this conversation with him. We met Elia through Gladiola Adventure which is a company based in uh, Arusha that rents out vehicles for self-driving. So if you want to just get a 4 by 4 and drive yourself uh, to see the animals in the parks, you can do that. Uh, they also do uh, guided trips, obviously, as we did. Uh, they go up uh, Kilimanjaro. They go all over the place. So if you want to check them out, it's uh, gladiolaadventure.com. And uh, just to be totally upfront and transparent about this, we got a small discount on our trip uh, in exchange for mentioning them on the podcast. The interview with Elia was not part of that deal. That was totally just because he's cool and interesting and we wanted to bring him to you. So that's a totally separate thing. Um, I would never do that. I, I've, I do deals sometimes. You know, and I used to do advertising before I moved over to Substack, as you know, probably. But um, I would never agree to have a guest on the show as part of a deal. So whenever you hear someone on this podcast other than me, you know it's because I'm legitimately interested and think they're worth your time. So, uh, Elia. Now, before we get into that, a little more uh, housekeeping. First, I want to mention uh, somewhat urgently that the Ancestral Health 
um, Society Symposium. Yeah, Symposium. It's coming up in L.A. August 18th to the 20th. It'll be held at UCLA. Tickets are available through the Ancestral Health Symposium website. This is a really interesting collection of people who uh, are looking at what we can learn about health by studying hunter-gatherers. Um, you know, emerging research in the field is uh, coming fast and furious. Furious, And this is um, my friend Nomi is the president of AHS. I don't know why I'm having difficulty. AHS, the Ancestral Health Symposium. Um, and so, again, no, no special deals here. She's just awesome, and I know she works really hard on this. And this is her last year as president. And it turns out that Anya and I will be attending this year. Uh, I won't be speaking, but I'll be there wandering around uh, and benefiting from the wisdom of the people there. So check that out. Ancestralhealth.org. You can get your tickets now. And the last thing I want to tell you before we get to the conversation that Anya and I had with Elia is... Uh, Kevin Allison and I are doing a little uh, awareness ex exchange on our podcast right now. He's telling people about Tangentially Speaking, and I'm reminding you to check out the Risk podcast. It's awesome. It's people telling stories they never thought they'd tell. I don't think they get drunk, but that's generally when we tell stories we never thought we would tell, right? When we're shit-faced. Um, so just sort of Think of the Risk podcast as uh, <laughs> sort of sort of promoting that, you know, cringe-inducing, oh my God, did I really say that? That's the kind of stories that they specialize in. Uh, so yeah, I told the story about uh, being stung by the scorpion, which you probably have heard. Um, you know, other people are, are telling stories about sex and awkward situations they get into. A uh, woman uh, discovered she was living with a cannibal. A guy gets kidnapped by a drug cartel. You know, the kind of stuff that just happens. So check it out. Risk, uh, the Risk podcast. It's uh, risk-show.com is where you'll find that. Or, you know, wherever you get podcasts in your app or whatever. All right. So this conversation with Elia happened. Uh, Anya and I both wanted to have him on the podcast and we decided the easiest way to do that would be for us to just the three of us sit down and talk and then we would both co-release it so if you listen to Anya's podcast Millennials Guide to Saving the World you'll hear this conversation there and here so you can skip one of those all right greetings everyone from Tbilisi uh, I'm gonna not talk more I'm just gonna put this one up and out into the world and I will record Aroma and talk about Georgia and some of the experiences that we're having here impressions of Tbilisi and so on and so forth so stay tuned for that in the next few days if you haven't subscribed to my feed on Substack please consider it there are two different ways you can do it one obviously the one I would prefer is as a paying subscriber five bucks a month 50 bucks a year, which works out to 420 or something a, a month. Uh, so really cheap, less than a, you know, a buck a week, something like that. 
Um, if you do that, you get the podcast, obviously. You get an email saying when a new podcast comes out, but then you get these other things as well. Little mini podcast things that I do where I, like I just did one the other day, uh, just talking for a few minutes about a close friend of mine from high school who I just found out died mysteriously uh, about a year ago. Uh, I also do some writing. I do some essays. I do some of these, uh, you know, what makes this book great thing. I did uh, one about Walt Whitman a little while ago. So just whatever's rolling out, a lot of it is only for paying subscribers. And then if you're even a non-paying subscriber, you get an email when I post something. So uh, a lot of stuff is free, so you'll get that. But it's just a reminder when something comes out. So, and that makes me look good to the folks at Substack, which is what it's all about at this point. So thank you for that. All right, enough bullshit from me. This is Elia. Uh, hope you enjoy this conversation. Talk about his childhood, how he became a guide, his understanding of animals, all sorts of fascinating intercultural stuff. All right, I'm going to play you out with a bit of music from Africa. Why not? Let's be cliched about this. The song is called Wasiye. It's by Habib Koite. And uh, he's from, where is he from? Senegal. Born in Senegal, a Malian musician, singer, songwriter, based in Mali. Uh, his band was called Bamada, super group of West African musicians. Habib Koite. And the song, once again, is Wasiye. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you again next time.
Tanya and I are here with Elia. Elia, what, what's your full name? My full name is Elia Edward Mollel. Mollel. Yeah, the Maasai family. Ah, okay. <laughs> and your father's Maasai and your mother is from what tribe? Yeah, my father's Maasai, but my mom, she's from southern part of Tanzania, a uh, region which is called the Singida region. And how did they meet? Oh, it's a long story. They all, uh, they all met in Kenya. Ah. My mom, she was a business selling some crops from uh-huh. Tanzania to Kenya. And then that's a long story. And then, <laughs> and then uh, my dad, she was there in Kenya, simply left home because of big demand from his father. So it's where they met in Kenya. Uh, and then they moved to Russia, Tanzania. But your father's from Tanzania. He was my, born in yeah, Tanzania. Yeah, raised and born in Tanzania, northern of Kenya, very close to Kenya, which uh, is a Maasai land. Yeah. yeah. And did your father grow up in the traditional Maasai style with the, the herd of cows and and what people think of with Maasai? Yeah, sure. So my father came uh, for a big family, which his father has got six wives. So it was a really serious uh, a traditional Maasai is where I came. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So your father's father had six wives. Six wives. And your father had two wives. Two wives. And you have? I'm uh, still waiting for the right one. <laughs> and your mom was the second. So wife. my mom, she was the second. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and that was difficult, you were saying, because she was not Maasai. And yeah. That, yeah. So she was not a Maasai, so she was from another tribal, so it was so hard hmm. to living in a Maasai culture those years. So it was so hard, but you know she made it. And now we've grown enough. Yep. Is it unusual for a Maasai man to marry a woman who's not Maasai? Is that unusual? The mixture? Uh, those years it is not, but now it's usual. Mm. But those years it is not, uh, and that's like the way my daddy found my mom. As what I said, uh, is actually it was in Kenya. Right, and then there is a reason my dad to left home. So my daddy. So what happened in Maasai? Uh, if you want to getting a wife, so always uh, your father has to move from different family looking for wife for you. Mm. So because we as a Maasai, so we 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 will believe if your dad uh, can searching wife for you, it means that wife will be blessing mm. because not all family. We as a young, we know, but our parents, they know this family has got good luck. So they can go, they can talk, and then you can get surprised. Oh, this is your wife. Yeah. That is what happened. But before that, you have to ensure to your father, like, are you ready Are you, are you? you ready to get a wife? So how can you believe you are ready? Mm-hmm. It's like you have to risk yourself. For instance, you have to go to hunting a big animal, mostly buffalo, lions, that it was a must. So... My daddy went with his friend. They were looking for lion, but they couldn't find a big male lion. So they ended up by lioness. So there were like three of them, but my daddy is the one who threw a spear. He killed a lioness. And then, uh, and then they took the head, which that process is took almost about five days to stay away from home, just go searching for, mm-hmm. for, li- for, for lions. And then... Uh, and then, uh, so after meditate kill, so they took the head, putting it in like a plastic, and then they have to cover again a few days to go back to the village. So the day I arrived to the village, it was morning. And my grandpa, he was like a chief, so always morning. We're having a lot of older people, they're coming, like I say, hey, hey, you know, they're having tea. 
mm-hmm. every day. So so the house is full of people, especially in the morning, every yeah. day. So the time my daddy arrived at home, so already many people, they're at home. And then my daddy was so excited. So he said to his dad, like, oh, now I can get a wife. I've got something. And then my grandpa was so proud, like, what do you have? Show us front of other older people. And then my daddy, poor, oh, it was a head of lion. It was a head of lion, but it is a lioness, it's not a male. So in a Maasai, a little bit is, 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 is crazy because for Maasai, they believe for men more than women. So my dad to kill a lioness is a big shame. Mm. Like oh. a, you, a lioness. So in a Maasai, like a lioness is nothing. It's not strong enough. What? Wow. But a big male is strong enough so you can challenge another man. But to challenge female to a, to a man, that is big shame. So the other older people, they were like, wow, this is a big shame. And then my dad, he left and then he went out. And then the older people, they said to my dad, hey, you did something wrong. You're a man. Why you go? you killing a lioness? This is a big shame. So you have to pay fine. And then in my grandpa, so he got two cow, and then he slaughtered, and to say sorry for, 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 for this older people. And, and your father and his two, the two other men, they didn't yeah, know, did they know? This, that, that this wasn't going to be good to kill the lion? Actually, uh, uh, they didn't really understand because mm. lions is lions. They're all deadly dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. would be uh-huh. very, I, w- I think I would probably be more afraid of the lions. Yeah, of yeah. course, because few cases, you know, some of people get killed by lions and die. Yeah. So for them, it was like, oh, lions is lions. It's not easy to take down lions. Huh. That's what they thought. That's strange that they didn't know that this would have such a... Uh, a negative consequence. Yeah. And this was this is very traditional for very, a long very, time. Very, that, very traditional for yeah. a long time. But now government they coming in, right. so now it's not allowed anymore to to hunting this wildlife. As you can see, they bring a lot of money to the country. Yeah. So now you need to have more cows. Is how people they will respect you more by having more cows. Is where the family you are going to marry is where they will value because you have to pay a lot of cows hmm. for the family you are going to get to wife. So is that have they switched the tradition, like the initiation into manhood, into mm-hmm. something else? Now? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now they switch for cow, not more mm-hmm. killing lions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but still, they do some of places. Uh, they do it, but it's not allowed by government, especially when they come and try to eat their livestock. Right. Because the big enemy for their livestock is lions, hyena, mm-hmm. and leopard. So sometimes they can do it, but they're not allowed anymore. Yeah. Right. Do you feel like when you were growing up that you saw a lot of changes from the traditions of the Maasai and to what's going on now as far as like the population growing and the traditions changing? Like, did you sort of see the difference between how your grandfather grew up and how you grew up? The changes? Yeah, it's yeah. big changes. Like in those years, like my grandpa, he took me while I was seven years old. So it's big change from now in terms of the weather, in terms of uh, uh, food, mm. uh, in terms of lifestyle. Uh, so uh, demand of lifestyle is changed. It's changed everything now. So uh, things have started to change, especially for us at the moment. Yeah. Did your grandfather ever have a job, like a normal job, making money? So my grandfather never had a job, but he had a lot of cows. Right. Yeah. So he yeah. lived the traditional, traditional way. way. Yeah. And 
And you were raised by your grandfather? I got raised by my grandfather in a village. So it took me while I was seven years old, for which it was not easy to my parents, especially my mom. So I didn't know why, why my grandfather loved me so much. So remember, there were a lot of children, as what I said, my grandfather's got six yeah. wife. Yeah. So there were a lot of children, but only you know, he loved me so much. So I was in town. So for me to go to the village, I was so happy. Mm-hmm. But my mom, she was not happy at all. And my mom, she said, no, I will not allow to take my son. Because if you take my son, there is no education in a village. Mm-hmm. So if, if, you want to re- if you want to destroy the life of Elia, if you take him, there is no future anymore for Elia. But my grandpa said to them, if you will not give Elia, I will leave curse to you. If I will die, you too, you will not enjoy your lives. And then from there... I, I say that again? I, if, if I don't take Elia, what if happens? If I will not take Elia, I will not bless you. I will not bless you. Yeah. So like a, a curse, yeah, a like negative... A curse. Yeah. Really? And then... Uh, my my father was so worried and telling my mom like, hey, let's let's leave this happen. And then I was so happy. I How old seven, were you? I was seven years old. I uh, won't forget. It's years, but I won't forget. So I was so happy. You know, just packing my clothes, and then uh, we went with my mom to getting a bus. It was only one bus. And then around ten, if you have to be in a station bus, if you miss that bus, you have to waiting until tomorrow. Yeah. So I went there, and then it went like a six hour all the way, way to Nemanga, which is close to Kenya. And then uh, there is another station, is where we went off. I found my grand- then we met my grandfather with donkey. So the way uh, we went together, jumping on a donkey, and then we have like a three hour. To, wow. to, to, yeah, donkey ride. Yeah, to the donkey ride, three hours to the village. Then, uh, so those wives and children, they were so happy to see me. And my grandpa said to them, wherever you see this son, it's like you see me. Mm-hmm. So take care of him. So I was there. That's where I started in my primary school. And then, yeah. Why did your grandfather want you so much? He had many, many grandchildren, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So until now, until now, I don't know why. But uh, I saw big, 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 big blessing from him. So he taught me many things. Uh, he showed me a light, always encouraging me about schools he said like the only things which you have to do now is about education because when your time it will come it will not be like now because now i'm not education but still i can survive but your time where you'll be full grown enough the only things it will help you is about education and that's the way i saw my career like i want to be a guide wherever we walk out with him he taught me in master way about animal yeah about astronomy clouds Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you said, when you were saying your grandfather said, when you are a man, you will need your education. Yeah. But, and that's true. Yeah. Like you speak English yeah. and you read and you write and you drive cars and you, you have all this stuff. But what makes you such a great guide more than the other guides is your understanding of the animals, which came from him, right? You're right. Yeah, you're right. By experience, being out with them a lot, like a place where normally we go uh, looking after shepherd and goat. It's like a it's like a swamp when it's raining, so dry season is remaining green, and then animal wildlife animal they migrate from Gorongoro to West Kilimanjaro, so they use that way, and that that area is where normally we spend like all day just. Mm. 
for grazing for their livestock. Right. So from there is where uh, he taught me a few things about animal. Like if it's dry time, like you see, look at those zebras. They have gone mad. It means this is the end, this place where they came. There is no enough water because it's dry getting water. So that's where they get mud. Ah, they so have to get close to the water and step in the mud, uh, right? So though the signs which he, he taught me, like when you see like this, it means you have to prepare yourself. Like uh, things start getting dry and dry and dry and dry. Right. Yeah. Did the, like how... I imagine, you know, the wild animals were protected for the parks and for tourists to come. And the Maasai couldn't really interact or couldn't, you know, do these, the killing of the lion. Or um, do you feel like the attitude of the Maasai toward the wildlife changed because they were sort of kept out of their lands? Does that make sense? <laughs> the relationship like, yeah. between Maasai and animals Anim yeah. is different because of the parks. So you, the Maasai couldn't hunt. Well, they didn't really hunt they before, never, right? Yeah. yeah. So Maasai, they are not really hunt. They depend yeah. for their livestock, which is a cow, sheep, and goat. Yeah. And the big, en big enemy for them is predators like lions, yeah. leopards, and hyena. Yeah. So these three predators, they are never being friendly with Maasai. Right. But the rest of other animals, they are so friendly with Maasai. Mm -hmm. and, and this has happened uh, those years. Sometimes you can, having your cows, you can see wild beast and zebra, they coming close to the cow, they go all together to drink water mm -hmm. because they feel more safe. Yeah. They know if there is a cow, it means there is a Maasai. Uh -huh. If there is a Maasai, there is no lion's clothes. Right. Yeah, that's how it was. But Maasai and lions and cheetah hyenas, they are never be friendly. So they were always seen as like sort of an enemy yeah, to... Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But what about like the zebras and the wildebeest? They're drinking the same water that the cows need. They, and, and they drink the same water. Yeah. And for us, we drink the same water which animal they drink. Yeah. yeah. So, so we all share the same water. But the Maasai them. never want to kill the zebras or make them go away because they're taking water from the cows. Uh, so in that area still, it was a plenty of water. Uh, so okay. they can like all share. But now things are get, you know, the weather is changed. Everything get dry. Mm. So it might be sometimes demand demand like that, but they are but the good things about Maasai they migrate, you know they they are nomadic, they move, especially to track green pastures. Yeah. So some some places they go where it's normal village with less animals. Some places they go away from wildlife conservations. They go in the mountains mm. just to keep searching. For Is there enough land for the Maasai to move? Yeah, plenty of land, plenty of land, which ah. all year round they can move. But now populations is became bigger and bigger. So now there is a fight between farmer, agricultures, yeah. and Maasai. Yeah. Because they, they all depend on water, especially dry season. So farmers, they go down to, to the rivers, and Maasai have to go down to the rivers. So it's a big conflict between now Maasai and farmer. And this is where by government they have to come in to try to make Maasai to understand. It's better for them to keep less cow, but in a good condition. Because Maasai, they believe in numbers, so they, so they don't care. They don't care how many skin cow they have, so they deliver about numbers. Like I've got hundred cows. Right. Mm. So government now they're working hard to try to educate them. It's better to you can keep less cow, but in a good condition more than having hundred cow wow. in bad conditions. So, and the same with babies. Uh, it's in terms of babies. Uh, 
is still not. So they can marry as they want. They can have many children as they want. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is the problem, right? Because the population is growing yeah. so fast. When the population is growing so, yeah. Yeah, I was like, is it, you know, I when you read in the news and stuff, you hear that because of the parks and like they make the Maasai land smaller and smaller and smaller, but the population grows and grows and grows. And I wonder if there was still free land for them to roam everywhere, if it would be okay. Like, what is the conflict uh, between the government and the Maasai? Wow, that's really serious topic about about it. So, uh, for sure, the land, especially where Maasai they live, you will not compare like a fifty years back. Yeah. Now, you know, population of people is became bigger and bigger, less rainy, only small amount where it has good water and grasses, yeah. and everybody fighting for it. And this is only happen dry season. Dry season is where there is a limited place for them to go. So they have to fight in one land. Yeah. But when it's raining, it's where they'll have big space, big land, where they can go looking for grasses, plenty of water. So this conference is only happening in dry season, mm. where they try to go through national parks searching for water, uh, okay. where get driving very crazy because most of them, they lost their cow. Mm-hmm. But this is only happening dry season. After raining, yeah. the peace remains, so plenty of grasses. And dry season comes earlier yeah. and earlier now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder how it feels for you, because you live in two worlds. Yes. Right? You live, you understand the Maasai world, Maasai world, I say Maasai all the time, Maasai. <laughs> And you understand this world of Wi-Fi and phones and <laughs> driving and tourists <laughs> and Montana and everything. Yeah. And uh, is this, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like you're lucky that you see these two worlds or do you feel sad that that you're a little bit in this world and a little bit in this world? Well, so talking in behalf of uh, of other people, I'm really feeling very sad uh, because uh, mostly of uh, Maasai, they they kind of like uh, changing their lifestyle because of demand of life. Things getting expensive compared to those years where I grew up with my grandfather. Yeah. So now uh, to get food, it's so hard, you know, uh, to get grasses for the cow, it's so hard. Yeah. And then uh, tourism is tourism sector is very important, but in the other end, it's really uh, changing people. So we are so lucky; it's good, but it's changing people. Especially, uh, uh, we have some lodges uh, where people they have lodges along Maasai area, and most of those lodges they employ the Maasai. Mm. So Maasai, when they walk to the lodges, they meet different people around the world. They meet people from a big city and then they all share one table. They talk. And then from there is where Maasai, they realize, hey man, where place where I live is not a place. It's like a... It's uh, not a place. It's not special. It's not special yeah. because look here, there is electricity. You know, yeah. I can use fork and knife. Oh, I can have a proper meal. I can have soda. And then from there, Automatically, they're changing their mentality. Like, hey, so now it seems like I have to work, I have to go to school mm-hmm. to, to have more 
more better life. And this is only for the, for the new generations. But the older people, they don't care about it. So the older, gen the new generations, they are keen, you know, to have, to live in towns, to have new phones, laptops, yeah, new yeah. clothes, and then they start to uh, forget place where they came. You know, they start forget their houses, styles, you know. They, mm. they, they're moving to town, moving to town. And then they only left the older people behind it. Yeah. But not all people, they were getting a chance to walk in these lodges. Only few of them, so they will understand. But the rest of others still, they will not understand. And what do you think about that when you know people like us come here and want to go with the Hadza, for example, mm -hmm. or want to see the Maasai, how they're living, the simple, traditional kind of life? Does it seem strange to you, like like the Maasai are going this way and uh, the tourists are trying to go this way? <laughs> Some tourists. Some tourists, <laughs> you know, like, oh, you're so lucky, you, can, simple you and see the stars yeah, yeah. and you don't have to go to work, <laughs> yeah. you're so lucky. And the Maasai say, no, I want to go to Los Angeles. <laughs> Sometimes you think like they are crazy. This is a good life? Yeah. This is a good life? So they ask like, oh, I wish I could live this life. No stressful. Like, that's what you said. But normally for us, we think like, hey, these people, they're craving. They wish to live this life. You know, like, you know because we don't have exposure yeah. to see Europe, America, how, how that they live. So we have no idea. Well, you see on television. You right. just only see on television. Yeah. I've never seen ice. I've never even, I've never like a snow. Like a snow yeah. yeah. We only see in televisions. Yeah. So like, so we believe like every, every good things is came from Europe, America. So as, and for us, because we don't know anything, it's like, oh, we wish to go there and see. We wish we could be there. To, but we have no idea. But maybe if you could have idea, is where we can understand most of the people coming and say like, oh, you guys, you are so lucky to be here. But problems, we don't have exposure like to see other people they're living. Like you said, some people think that uh, white people have machines that make money. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's where, it's where mostly we believe like, hey, these people, they're the one they own money. Yeah. So whatever they see, like, oh, they know how that guy, they've got money. They've right. got money. It's yeah. where mostly, mostly, mostly of us, mostly of the children's, so that's what they, they will ask him something from you. Because and this is happening because, remember, when missionaries, they came in, always they tried to help us. Mm. It's not meaning they've got something, but they try to help us. And when they try to help us, we think like, oh, these people. They are the one that make money. Mm. They are the one that make money. How how come they help us? We do like that. These things is really confused. Like how come they help us? <laughs> how can we pay them for free? How yeah. come they yeah. help us for free? Right. So people like oh these people they have got money. Uh, they don't know where to take. That's where it comes from. Yeah, they don't know where to take. So that's what they bring to us. Why? Why they help us? Yeah. Because we don't pay them back. So 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 that mentality is where making children like oh. Ah, this, they have good money because in the schools, when the missionary is coming, you know, they bought some things for children, you know, giving for free, like a free, I didn't work for you, give me something free. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there is where it created yeah. the mentality, like these people, they must have a machine to make money. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of young people, especially in America, white, we, we think that the Maasai and the indigenous populations must hate the white 
tourists and tourism because we think we're taking the tradition away from all of you. But then it's interesting to come here and you say things like, no, they don't hate tourists or tourism because it's brought them a lot of good things. Um, is that correct? Yeah, you're yeah. really correct. So Maasai, not only, not, not only America, Western people, they love them. In general, Maasai, even other tribal, like here in Tanzania, mm-hmm. but almost 120 tribal. But when you crash to the Maasai family, they will take you as a member of the family. They will feed you. They will love you. They have got true love, true love. But in terms of uh, the uh, white people coming in, so they love them so much. Mm. Simply, they help them in terms of about health. So we have some of Lutheran churches, you know, they donated a lot about hospitals, schools. So it's like it bring life to them in the other end. Can you imagine like those years? So women, they have to work like a few kilometers, even like 30 kilometers, you know, just to go in a hospital. Maybe she's about having a baby. And then nowadays, you know, we saw all these uh, uh, sponsored, and then we have hospitals around. So it's like a, you help their life. Now they realize, oh, those white people, they build a hospital. They're a dispenser. Oh, they drill water. So now we'll not cover like 100 miles against searching water. Mm. Some like specifically maybe NGOs, you know, they donated water and now get water. And then from there, you know, it's remained happy wherever they see white people. They always follow you, you know, talk to you. Sometimes you think like, why these people, they call me? It's how they feel. You know, mm-hmm. it's they feel like you follow you, feeling happy, mm-hmm. like feeling happy. Yeah. <laughs> what confuses you about white people? Is there anything like the other day we were in the in the land cruiser and you said, ah, sometimes I don't understand. Do these people live in the world? Do they live in this world? It's like they never see dust. They never remember we were in that. Yes. It's like, ah, they never are bumpy roads. Oh, that's what we're talking about. Right. People. Yeah. We were talking about when you're on safari with. Like women who don't want to pee outside and you have to drive all the way back to the camp because uh-huh. she wants to pee. Uh-huh. It's like, wow, what, what what is your world like? It's so strange. Yeah, you know, for me, I'm a guy, so I just meet different people around yeah. the world. And some of them, it's like they don't live in this world. Like the way the way they live, like seeing a bug, like they freaking out, like, oh, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. Like, wherever they see dust, they're like, wow, what this? That's us. Yeah. 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 Ah, Elliot, yeah. close the window. Ah. We have so much dust where we live, too. We just don't like dust. Yeah, so, so those things, like, make you like, oh, it's like, where are we living? It's like, it's far from, it's far from people they do. It's like, you keep yeah. asking yourself questions because... I've never been in Europe, I've never been in America, so I have no idea. So when I crossing people like that, like yeah. they like I keep asking myself. So it means in this world there is a people, they born until they die, they never see dust. <laughs> and I keep asking myself like this, like Or bugs. Oh, yeah. oh bugs. I mean, sometimes I say, Oh, maybe they're so lucky enough, you know. They're so, they're so lucky enough, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how lucky that is. Or snakes. Uh, we don't see snakes, snakes. very often. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes they're asking for 
air conditions like what is air condition you know <laughs> for what like yeah. oh really i need air condition it's like you know those things are not really very common especially where we live yeah. but in a big big city people they have air conditions but yeah. i'm talking about big majority of people big number of us we have no idea what is what is air condition yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you said uh, the other day I was asking you if you uh, had any famous clients before Anya. She's your most famous client, right? And you. So what you do? Do you tell me you you had in your truck? So we had a Will Smith. Will Smith. Yeah. Right. Will Smith. Which is a little ironic because you look a little bit like Chris Rock. <laughs> so he didn't slap you, right? No, he didn't. So he was in the Serengeti. It was a big crew. Yeah. So we were out with him. And then, yeah, it was so nice. Like, I only, you know, saw him televisions. Yeah. So you see someone naked eyes, you feel like a jumping out of a skin. Like, wow. Yeah. It's here. It's the one. It's the one. Alive. Yeah, it's the one. So... That's a big surprise, yeah. But you also work with um, photographers and filmmakers from, what, National Geographic, BBC, lots of big, uh, famous companies. and Yeah, sure. So, deal a lot with uh, films, photographer. Who was the photographer you told me about the other day you worked with? Uh, is there is a guy, it's called uh, Nick Brandt. Yeah. yeah Nick right. Brandt. So being with him like a few years, like years ago, we were in a Serengeti. So mostly do black and white pictures. So, yeah. yeah so. And why do they choose you? What, did he ask for you or was it just uh, chance? It's actually by chance. Mm. It's uh-huh. by chance. And I always, when I'm getting a chance, I have to use it as I can because it's like a golden chance. So I have to tell who I am. Yeah. That's where, that's how I live. Wherever I get safari, I just do it. Yeah. With all my heart, because I don't know what it will happen tomorrow. And you're very, uh, you're very good, not only with uh, animal behavior, but also you, you find the best vantage point with the light and what's in the background. Like you are thinking like a photographer. So I f- imagine for them, that's very important. They notice that. Like someone else would pull there and you have to shoot into the light. Uh, that's not good. So you know where to go. Yes, yeah, sure. I was so lucky. Uh, before joining Gladiola Adventure, I was working one of another company. So they, 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 before they trained me so much. So they trained oh, they taught you about yeah, that they also. They taught me wow. about, 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 about about photographer things. So photographer is a big subject. So you need to understand about parking the car. It's mostly important about the lights and then to understand about being prompt. That's mostly important too. Not only to shoot the back of animals so you understand this animal is going to move. Mm. So before you move, you are the one you start having a nice angle just to get to get the face. Yeah, you did that many times. You, you said like, ah, I think this animal's going <laughs> she's to... She's yawned three times. Uh, right. <laughs> now she's going to... I just learned this. Predators, yeah. mm-hmm. when they yawn three times, uh-huh. they're going to move. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good sign. So remember for these photographers, when they're coming here, we yeah. call this a project. Mm-hmm. So project, he has to be done very well. Right. So you as a guide, you have got almost 95% to achieve the project. Mm-hmm. So that 95% is a big, is a big, 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 big point. So, yeah. 
So you have to make sure the project is going to be successful. So always it's a big load, you know, you have in your mind, like I have to achieve this, I have to achieve this, I have to achieve this. So even sometimes you sleep, you don't like really sleep, you just keep like, what about tomorrow? What is going to happen? These people, they'll get what they want. So eventually you find yourself, you have got too, too, too much pressure more than them because you want this happen. Yeah. Do, do most guides feel this way, do you think? Ah, uh, it's it's hard to say. Uh, so this is all about uh, uh, same same like we are all guides. So are we all love being a guides, or sometimes we we, we it it was opportunity to get into getting a job as a guide. Mm. But for me, it was not opportunity. It was my it was my it was my lovely job. So right. before I was a mechanics. Mm. So so and then I saved my money. And then I had to attend evening class. I have to work as a mechanics evening right. class, mechanics evening class, just to achieve what I want, which it was not easy. Right. It was your intention. Yeah. It's not like you had a brother or no, an no, uncle no, who no, got no, you a job. No, 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 no. no. You yeah. intended to yeah. do this. It was me. Like I tried save my money, learning my English, learning about wildlife, save my money, learning about English, save my save my money, learning about wildlife. That's how it was my life. So and, until, you know, I achieved my goal being a guide. So I love being guide. I love being out. So it's my heart. So it's so hard to talk about other because I don't know how they feel. They feel as a normal job. But for me, always, I just enjoy being out. What, what appealed, attracted to you? What was most attractive about being a guide? Why did you want to be a guide? Ah, uh, Wow. So first of all, I love people. Mm. So I love people, and uh, I love to meet different people. So the only way for me to, to to meet people is to be a guide, because being a guide, you can be able to learn from different around the world. Mm. So being a guide is like you're in a center. So you'll be able to know from America, Asia, you know, many people. Apart from apart from that, I love I love wildlife. Mm. I love wildlife. Thus, thus, I found myself, I love one life. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like what I said earlier, you, you're you living in two worlds. Yeah. And the guide is the bridge between yeah. those worlds. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Well, and also, is it strange because, like, the Maasai, like, they see the predators as the enemy of the cattle, but then the tourists come and they want to take all these photos of the predators and they make television shows about it. Does Did that feel strange at all, the sort of attitude toward certain animals? Wow. Uh, uh, it's, not, it's not really uh, feeling strange for us. Mm. We only feel it very strange for us. Uh, if uh, the predator try coming to taking our wildlife, but in terms of in terms of you guys coming and take pictures and enjoy, uh, still for us we feel so happy. As yeah. long as the lions didn't interfere, our, our livestock is away from us. We feel we feel relaxed and we feeling happy mm. because it's something it's something everybody want to see. Even for us, if lions crossing to our village, it's like a it's big things. Yeah. Like, hey, there is a big intruders coming in. Big intruders. So if it's big intruder, everyone wants to see. Even no matter is already killed, but everyone everyone wants to see. So it's kind of like a something special for everyone. Although it's enemy for us, but it's very special for everyone. Mm. And we value, yeah. 
Can you, the other day we were asking you, uh, everyone was talking about their favorite animal. Yeah. Yours was the hyena, right? Can you tell us that story about why the hyena is special for you? Yeah, sure. Just remind me. He is and he is. Sure, hyena is my favorite animal. Uh, simply, I got big lesson to my grandpa because of hyena. A little bit is a story. So those years, about 10 to 12 years old, uh, we always weekend, Saturday, uh, Saturday and Sunday, the day which I uh, stay at home with my grandpa. It's not day school. Mm. So I stayed with my grandfather and always I was so happy to go looking for livestock, especially sheep and goat and calf. So those calf always they not stay away from home, but the rest of big cow, they have to go away from home. Mm. So... So those days we went out to see my grandfather in the middle of nowhere. We were looking after them. And then they were like 20 meters away from us. We were under the tree because it was so hot. And then while we were there, my grandpa was sleeping. But for me, I was like looking around because it's old my grandpa at that time. He was like taking a nap under the tree. And then uh, I heard a strange noise. It came from the ship. And then I woke up my grandpa. And then he woke up like, hey, what's that? And then there, there is a sound. And then we heard the same strange noise. like, Ugh! And then he said, go and have a look. So I was so young. I just running, running, running. And then I saw Ayena. And that it was my first time to see Ayena. Mm -hmm. So I was so crying and panic and running to my grandpa. So my grandpa was so worried, like, hey, what happened? And then what happened? I say... There is, there is, there is a hyena. And then he stopped to me. He said, look at me, look at me. Why are you crying? Why are you running? You are a man. Remember, I was 12 years old. But he said to me, you are a man. You are a man. So you as a man, wherever you see any problems, don't running away from you. That's the rule number one, being a, being a real man. So you have to solve your problems. Because when you run, other people, they will laughing on you. Oh. And then he said to me, so one day you'll have a family. You'll have children. You'll have wives like me. Always there is a problems coming in. And then he started to say to me, do you know every morning people coming at home? And then 75% 75 of all people coming at home, they have the same problems about family problems. So you have to stay as a man to solve your problems. Because if you stay at the man, you will keep roaming, telling people how they can help you. And other people, they will think you're stupid. Other people, they will understand you. And then from there, you show your weakness to the people. But always, no matter is any critical situations, stand at the man. Take it easy. Finish your problems. Okay, now let's go see what happened. And then I remember I said before, don't be coward like your father. As what I said, when my father, he had a kill, so he killed a lioness. And then that mission could happen. So he left home. That's where he met my mom. So they said, like, don't, don't be coward like your father, but I could understand. So he said, like, now let's go together to see what happened. And now you have to be front. You need to protect him. Take the spear, like no, no, I can't do, I can't do. No, you have to be, you have to be strong. I no. said, look at me, you are strong. But I'm sure he knew that Ayena is nothing for him. Yeah. And then he went, but still I was worrying, like he pushed yeah. me on the back, yeah. pushed me on the back. 
And then it went. We went close, close, and then Ayena ran him off. You see? Look at that. So Ayena, he saw as we are much confident what he was doing. Yeah. So that's why we went close and close and close, he's running away. So it's same to you. So when the problem's coming to you, just stay strong, go forward, go forward, and eventually you'll find your way. So the same like Ayena. But it was too late because the stomach material of uh, the goat was out, mm. and then he had a machete, so he cut the goat, and then we took meat mm. back to the home. Mm. So and then from there, I won't forget until now and tomorrow, and always, and I keep sharing with people, that's, it's, it's, it's amazing. Remember, I was a young, but the way he treated me, it's like I'm full groaning. So, so those strong words, I won't forget until now. So... From that, from then, wherever I just see Ayena, it just reminded me my grandpa, mm. rest in peace. Mm. So it reminded me that we were living with him, that we were out with him. Yeah. Your grandpa was 96 when 96, he died? Yeah, he died while he was 96. And then I, I left, uh, still uh, have his house, a ah. few clothes, the mattress, which he was a skin of cows, like layers. Ah. So that's where I belong. So... Just try to visit as I can. Wherever getting a chance, I have to go to try visit as I can. So he lost. So the only two wife there remains. Yeah. How was the relationship between your father and your grandfather? Uh, it was not good, but eventually they fixed. So my grand, my father, you know, as you know, uh, when he escaped the home. You know, you went away from home. Always you as a parent, you know, you feel something, although yeah. he did something wrong. And then eventually my, my grandpa was trying to find him, but he could find it. Mm. And then uh, eventually my grandpa, you know, he just came home. When he came home, when my, my, my grandpa saw his son, he's always crying. Mm. Where have you been? And then he bought some gift, always you know, it's a blood, you know, no matter what, you, you, know, you feel it from your heart. And then from there, you know, they finished there. So your father left not because they told him to leave, but because he felt yeah, I shame? Felt, yeah, I felt shame, yeah. That's where I left and that's where I met my mom in Kenya, yeah. yeah. So for you, it, it's good, <laughs> Yeah, for me, I'm so... he wouldn't have met your mom, right? Yeah, sure. For me, it's good. He was, he was the reason. Otherwise, I could not even be now. Maybe yeah. I could not even exist in this world. Yeah. And then in the other end, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky to spend uh, to spend my time with my grandfather. He showed me light. In a I wonder if, if your grandfather, like part of his love for you was that he loved his son and you are part of his son, but there was this problem and... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I like, understand. Like what you it's mean. it's clean yeah. and there's no uh -huh. history, uh -huh. and uh -huh. so he sees uh -huh. some of your father uh -huh. and you maybe. Uh -huh. You know what happened in a Maasai? Uh, for instance, uh, we have we have heritage. We can heritage something to your father. So mm -hmm. let's say you have got ten wives, you have got uh, seventy children. So before you die, or you you, you try to make someone to heri to heritage you like uh, your lives, like uh, in terms of everything. So same like uh, same like uh, my grandpa, I think uh, he saw me like, uh, mm. I think my her I have to heritage mm. what I have to a leader. Right. Mm. So maybe he could see one of his, one of his children. Yeah. So one of his wives, 
he only saw me. And this something is not about someone to tell you, it's something from your heart. Mm. Sometimes you're just sleeping and dreaming about it. Same like a, you have children, you have to tell you your houses, you know, money is like that. Same like a Maasai. So I think I was so lucky. Maybe it's God show him, I don't know. So until now, what I remember he said to me is just, I bless you, whatever you do, wherever you go, with your old generation, mm. is what he said to me. So always for me, wherever I go, I can see sometimes, like you see there is no way, but always they just keep pushing, pushing, and I find the way, and I keep going, I keep going. So always for me, I said, you know, it's a blessing to my grandpa. Mm. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Elia. Awesome dude. There are not many people I could spend nine days with and not get fucking sick of them. I get sick of everybody. I get sick of myself. Uh, And I'm sure everybody gets sick of me. But Elia is cool. Elia is a really good guy, really easy to be around. Um, So if you go to Tanzania, definitely get in touch and see if he's around to, to show you the ropes. Um, don't forget if you're going to be in Los Angeles, August 18th to 20th, this is your chance to go to the ancestral health symposium, uh, ancestralhealth.org is where you can get tickets. I will be there. Anya will be there. Elia, unfortunately will not be there, but Anya and I will be there. So if you're in LA and you want to check out some ancestral health information, that's the place to do it. Meet some people. I hear, uh, James Nestor is going to be there, the author of Breathe. Um, I might even be able to get him on the podcast. So definitely check it out. Lots of good information there. And uh, it's all being run by my friend Nomi, who is awesome. I've been trying to get Nomi on the podcast for years and years. I've had Nomi's mom on the podcast, Ginger. I've had Nomi's daughter on the podcast, Reva. But somehow Nomi remains elusive but we'll see maybe maybe i'll be able to do it this year anyway ancestralhealth.org for tickets thanks for listening everybody here is the amazing beautiful incredibly talented sassy no bullshit taking carsey blanton she's on tour right now she's going all over she's in the northeast u.s she might be in Ireland right now. I know she was going to Ireland at some point uh, in the UK. So if you're listening to this and you speak English and you're not in Australia, she might be near you. Go to carcyblanton.com and see where the fuck is Carcy right now. And if she's anywhere near you, trust me on this. You want to go see her and listen to her and just be in the presence of Carcy Blanton. It's really, really worth the trouble. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Really appreciate your time and attention. And I hope things are going great for you out there. My name is Carsey Blanton. I am an old friend of Chris Ryan's, and I'm excited to play you my song, Smoke Alarm. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to And what's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna 
Into the ground. 